Hey, this is Jared Krause, host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Dan Martell, who is a beast when it comes to the SaaS space, where he coaches SaaS founders to scale. And Dan has helped people like Noel Kagan at AppSumo and companies like Structure Studios. He's even worked with ClickFunnels and a whole lot more. Specifically in this episode, Dan and I talk about the three P's that he focuses on when scaling a SaaS business. We also talk about how to decrease your churn in your SaaS business. Then we discover what Dan's take is on using free trials and what he would suggest for scaling a quality business over a business that has a massive amount and quantity of people using your product or service. We also talk about where Dan sees the SaaS space going in the future and the exciting things to come from SaaS. So if you own a SaaS business or you're thinking about buying a SaaS business, this is a very valuable episode you don't want to miss. Let's get stuck in. Today's episode is brought to us by Niche Website Builders, which is a company a few of my clients are using and have used for content creation and link building services. They do everything from start to finish, so from keyword research all the way to uploading your completed article for you. We've also had Bob members buy ready-made affiliate sites built by Niche Website Builders. So if you're looking to outrank your competitors' content and build better backlinks, Niche Website Builders and I have a special deal for you. Head to nichewebsite.build forward slash Bob. I'll put a link in the show notes for you. But again, that's www.nichewebsite.builders forward slash Bob. Do you want to start investing in websites, but don't want to drop $20,000 or more on your first investment? Check out Odis, where you can buy premium age domains to build a website on and add Odis done for you affiliate site package to help you grow your website and get seen. Instead of buying a crummy website that's been built to sell with no authority, buy a premium domain with built-in authority, great SEO, and fresh quality content for your website. Head to odys.link forward slash Bob podcast to check out their great deals. That's odys.link forward slash B-O-B podcast. Link will be in the description too. Hey, Dan, and welcome to the Buying Online Businesses podcast. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Thanks for coming on. Jared, I'm pumped to be here, man. I appreciate the opportunity. So as you know, everybody that listens to this, they want to go away and buy an online business. And SaaS has become quite popular. And my first business was a SaaS business that I ever bought as well. And the reason, because I just wanted that recurring income, right? Now, what I find when a lot of people are new to buying a website business is they get excited, they buy a website business and they go, all right, well, what am I going to do? And some people actually butcher the business and end up destroying it. So if I was a first timer and I've just bought a SaaS business, what would you say would be a good thing to do and why or not do and why? (laughs) I'm going to have to focus on what to do. I actually just bought a company in December in the body shop software space. So, you know, it's kind of fresh on my mind. And for context, for people listening, I know you did an intro, but like all I do is B2B SaaS. Like I'm 100% what I've done my whole career. It's what I do in my coaching, et cetera. And I'm a practitioner. Like I buy my own companies and kind of execute the same playbooks. Three things. One, I would fix pricing. 90% of the time, pricing is off. In that company, for example, we added a setup fee that allowed us to get our CAC payback period down to like less than 60 days, which was pretty awesome. So I would say pricing, the three Ps is what I look at. Pricing, then I would go people. 
And people kind of in three categories, I would look at the scorecard that the people are using to measure their progress. I would look at the meeting rhythms that they're using to plan and report. And then I would look at the people themselves to make sure that the right people were on the team and the right people in the right seats on the bus. And I would fix that. And then third, I would look at product specifically. And in product, I would say churn reasons. Why are people canceling? And use that to prioritize the roadmap. And then also what's missing to get our activation better, which is usually time to first value. So those are very specific things. We can go all over the place on that. But those are like my three go-tos within the first 60 days of buying a company. I love the focus aspect on churn. A lot of people that buy a website businesses on growth, 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 growth. And what I like to talk about is that often the best growth strategies are the risk minimization strategies and de-risking your business. And a great way to de-risk your SaaS business or membership business is to slow down churn like and just decrease it as much as possible and i do have a question about churn so we will get to that but you touched on pricing why pricing like i know pricing is very important but would you look at how much traffic's coming in and how many people are actually converting on the marketing to change the traffic or how would you experiment changing that pricing i think you gotta kind of like test the market, right? So I change pricing every six months across all my companies. I learned this from Marcos, who used to be at Vista Private Equity. So they were Robert F. Smith. I have a man crush on that man. He's built the largest private equity firm in B2B SaaS. And Marcos essentially was responsible for like increasing their revenue by like $400 million, you know, because of the pricing changes. So a lot of these principles are influenced by my conversations with him. But yeah, like, It's one of those things that no matter what's going on in the business, if I can, like, for example, if you're adding 25 units a month, like 25 new customers a month, and you add a $1,000 setup fee, there's really no other place that you can tell me that one change with the least amount of moving parts can have that kind of impact in your business. In regards to how to do pricing, there is a science behind it. But I would say for the most part, the 80-20 that's not complicated is things like, do you have a value metric? Are you pricing based on some level of alignment of usage and value of your customers? Do you have your plan structured in a way that there's this natural force moving them at a certain level to the next plan? Do you have add-ons? The easiest one to use is premium support. A lot of you guys are already providing premium support. You can actually charge for that and provide kind of a less inclusive or a less personalized support experience and really increase your average revenue per account. And then, I mean, even adding on some done for you stuff, which I know may seem counterintuitive because not all revenues created equally, but at the end of the day, I really think SaaS should stand for success as a service and realize that the feature is trying to solve a problem and it doesn't always have to be code. And that could be something that you can bolt on fairly quickly that will get the revenue engine churning. And the reason why I focus there is because once we get that working better, it unlocks free cash flow that you can then reinvest in the business to fix the other areas. Yeah. And it's all starts with getting feedback from the customers of where they're at in their journey of using your tool or your service. And I feel that some SaaS businesses, a lot of businesses don't actually ask feedback on where people are at and like where they're getting stuck because that's why people leave is because they're stuck or they're not, you know, solving that problem. And like you said, like the done, it sounds like 
when we bring in a done-for-you service for our business, that's like, oh, my God, this is going to put a lot more pressure on myself and I'm going to have to do a lot more work. But you can hire you know, virtual assistants to do that type of work and it's very tailored to each individual within it. And the markup in price for the done-for-you service is huge, right? Like the value that you provide is massive and people stay longer. Yeah, I coach quite a few clients and like one of them's ClickFunnels. And one of the most important things they did was add that kind of onboarding experience that was an upsell to really help clients. Because again, people want success. You know, I think HubSpot, there's a mandatory coaching fee they charge of like $2,000 for every client because they know that if they don't have you committed to the implementation side, then your retention is going to go down, right? So they just kind of make it part of the, the process. So yeah, I'm a fan of stepping back and just saying, okay, customers buy your product to achieve an outcome, right? They don't buy a quarter inch drill, they buy a drill that can drill a quarter inch hole. So it's like, how do you help them get that? And sometimes it's not more software. Yeah, I love that. I love that moving away from software if you need. The potential to grow your business, if you're selling a $100 per month product and you've got a done for you service, you can go to a 300 to $400, $500 per month product. The scalability, I mean, in terms of revenue, it jumps up quite high. And if you've got good systems and processes around team, that can be scalable as well, that part of the business. And now I've noticed that this has moved us into a retention strategy. Like when we want to go into a growth strategy, we can use a de-risk our business and use that as a retention strategy to grow our business. I noticed that was the first one that you said is pricing. What other retention strategies would you look at or are some low-hanging fruits for SaaS businesses? In regards to what I do to like really scale companies, and most of the clients I coach kind of grow, I think it's average 270% year over year, is one focus. I think most companies struggle because of indigestion, not starvation, meaning that they do too many things at once. And I have a very structured process called the five ones that help people kind of like really ask themselves, am I focusing on the right things? But focus is number one. So taking stuff off their plate, giving them the things that are really going to work and that are going to give you leverage. As we mentioned, retention, you can't outgrow a cancellation problem, meaning that most people have never done what I call the cancellation ceiling math equation. So if you search growth ceiling, I think there's a few calculators online that will help you get this. But if you plug in your numbers of like how many clients you add, how many you lose, what's your average revenue per month and some other data point, it'll actually show you to the date based on your current performance when you will hit that ceiling of growth. So you're never gonna be able to outpace churn problems. So once we fix that, then we focus on conversion. How do I look at the current traffic you're making or you're getting and improve the conversions to purchase? And then once I have that, then I go back to the demand generation side. So how do I create more marketing? But I'm very much a demand generation marketer and there's two types of marketing. There's brand marketing and performance marketing, but I'm a big fan of saying, hey, how do we build a repeatable scalable funnel, either through partners, paid or publishing content? and really just refine that engine until we feel like we've tapped it out and then we're working for that next channel, et cetera. Great. I do want to talk about traffic since you brought it up, specifically cold traffic, and you're talking about demand here. You mentioned some of those traffic channels, you know, 
collaboration, publishing, what are the sort of the main ones that you find working quite well in getting, bringing cold traffic? Because I do want to talk about conversion from going cold all the way to sale. There's a lot in between that, so we can open up that can of worms. But where do you normally go to start off with getting cold where the demand is cold traffic? Yeah. What's fun for me is across my portfolio of companies that I'm involved in, I think we spend probably over 10 million a month in paid acquisition. So I've got a lot of experience on this. I would say in the B2B SaaS segment, Facebook is still working very well, right? AdWords is just priced out. I think there's certain keywords you just absolutely should do in some remarketing, but for the most part, you're not going to be able to get real volume at a price point that makes sense. Facebook still has, even with their latest update, et cetera, a lot of movement there. It's just, I think you got to lead with value and you got to do a pattern interrupt. What matters more on a lot of these platforms is the funnels you're using, right? So challenge funnels are working really well for my clients, a resource rich lead magnet. So like a template, a script, a compilation of examples of a thing that your client might want. And then on the thank you page, prompting them to get on a demo. So really the funnel is more interesting than the channel. LinkedIn works second best to Facebook only once you've refined the funnel and you've got really good economics that I think LinkedIn, it's more expensive, but it's also fairly early in their ad platform. And then another one that a lot of my clients are getting early success with, and there's a ton of volume is TikTok. Right. And the key there, though, is you have to leverage other creators. So you may have to seed the creative from some other account. And then what you can do with TikTok until they change is you can grab that post ID and actually amplify it. And it looks like an ad or like content. It's kind of like back in the day with Facebook, we had the dark posts or the kind of like the news feed on published posts that you could amplify, which eventually just came ads. So I think that's interesting. But those are kind of the three that I spend time on. So that's cold traffic, right? So you're saying that you're publishing on these platforms, mainly not on TikTok yourself using collaborators, but so you're publishing on Facebook and LinkedIn. You're publishing value-based content. Is that where you're starting? Building value and creating value and giving value through what videos, images and text? Or is it? I've never personally made marketing work without using education-based marketing. Like demand generation starts first with what's the chocolate, then the broccoli. The broccoli might be your software. The chocolate has to be the customer's needs. So I'm always asking myself, how do I insert the conversation that the prospect, the buyer's having right now in their world? If I can be a fly on the wall and hear them complain about their world, doesn't matter if it's a role or a CEO, et cetera, what are they complaining about? that's aligned with my offer that if I emailed them cold and said, Hey, I built this thing. Do you want a copy? 70% would say I would love a copy, right? So if I'm working with B2B SaaS founders, helping them improve their sales conversion, emailing them and saying, do you want a template to help you figure out sales comp? They would all say, yes, of course I want a template for sales compensation. Perfect. Here it is. That would be an example of content. Now to get there, you might use more kind of story, informational data analysis type content and create an audience and then do lookalike audiences to eventually offer the resource, right? So that you can make them aware, right? To build that audience, to finally give them something of interest, but you can go straight to a resource and then move them into a demo. 
Yeah, great. Okay. So that was my next question is moving them into a demo. Are we talking free trials? And what's your take on free trials versus, you know, a dollar or $7 or seven-day trials? Like what's your take on that? Because I know some people are very against doing free trials. I think it's right time, right action. So like my whole thing is sequencing equals success. If I gave somebody the ingredients to bake a cake, but I didn't give them the right recipe or somebody else gave them the right recipe, you know, same activity, same ingredients done in the wrong sequence. And one has this beautiful cake and the other one has a pile of mush. So what I would say is typically in the early days, don't do a trial get them on a phone call, do a demo, sell them, take their money, and then work with them to deploy the software. And the reason why is because most products in the early days, they haven't spent the time and energy on the first time user experience. They haven't focused on the core value of the product and how do they get somebody to first value. And giving somebody access to a trial where their experience isn't going to produce a wow or magical moment is not the right strategy, especially if you have a complicated product that honestly, if the product requires a lot of data and configuration, then a normal trial would make a lot of sense. In those situations, I usually recommend my clients give them kind of like a fake account they can play with to kind of get a sense of the product. And then eventually a sales rep's getting on a call with them anyways. That's more for the upper mid kind of enterprise space. But once you figure that out, you know, and I have a lot of clients that are now freemium. I have Deal Machine. So David at Deal Machine, I, I coach Emmerich from Agora Pulse, Kyle at Proposify. All three of those in the last three months have deployed a freemium version of their product. And it makes sense at their stage of the business where the product quality is there and they have really great onboarding and support to do that to really increase the top of the funnel. But it's just a lot of people think freemium is kind of a pricing or product decision and it's really a marketing decision. And until your product's good enough, don't do that. And then until your product's good enough, don't do free trials if it can't deliver. But for the most part, I do like credit card on file. But again, it's trade-offs. Do you want more pipeline or do you want higher quality trials and starts? And you can decide based on your marketing effectiveness of what type of people you're attracting today. And if you feel like the marketing and the positioning is really strong, then you might be able to get away with no credit card on file. But if you want to make sure that you're only supporting and reaching out to people that are more serious, then you might ask for a credit card for the start of the trial. But typically 14 days, you don't need to do 14. You can probably break it down to seven. I'm a fan of shorter trials. I'm a strong believer in not optimizing for quantity, definitely optimizing for quality. And I think what some people may have missed that's hidden in your answer is that when you do do a demo for somebody, what you're really doing is you're asking for feedback from somebody that is actually going to use your tool, who's a user that's going to help you create that to be an amazing tool. Because when we create a SaaS business or any business, we're just creating the perception we believe, the product that we believe people are going to want and need, but we really need that feedback. And I think that's absolutely invaluable at the start if we want to scale something that is going to be sustainable instead of just getting, you know, otherwise we're going to scale something that's going to have a high churn and a bunch of free trials and waste our money on marketing that's not really going to produce what we want over the long period if we're optimizing for that. Now, Lastly, I want to ask, you know, where do you think the SaaS industry is going? And this is in general, because I know it's a very broad question. Do you think a lot more people, as soon as they find out about SaaS, are going to be coming into SaaS and there's going to be more institutional money coming into SaaS now that there's a lot of PE firms going this way as well? Where do you see the industry going as a whole? I mean, the reality of it is, yeah, it's going to grow. 
And the reason why is it's kind of like in any industry, there's kind of all these unknowns and all the unknowns have been kind of worked through the system with all the publicly traded companies from Dropbox to Salesforce, Slack and Adobe and Microsoft and all these companies moving to the subscription revenue. The companies have started to the PE firms, the investors, the entrepreneurs, the innovators have seen how that economic model and engine is just incredibly powerful, right? So where do I think the world's going? I think some of the trends I'm seeing is marketplace plus SaaS. So I have a few clients that have SaaS products first and then bolt on a marketplace on the back end. Simple Consign is one of them. They have a consignment software for companies selling used clothing, but then they have Resale Loop, which is their marketplace to allow those retailers to essentially build their own Shopify type experience, but it's done as a marketplace. You're also seeing a lot of subscription plus gross merchandise value or what's called GMV or transactional fees, right? So ClickFunnels is a client I coach. They're now taking a piece of the transactions that are being sold through the platform that they've built that their clients are selling the product. Same thing with another one of my clients, Jonathan at Service Autopilot. You know, they have a subscription revenue business, but they also take a piece of the invoices they get paid through their platform, right? So I think that trend is going to continue which means there's just going to be more investors. I think SaaS plus IoT is going to continue which, or, or start really ramping up. I think, man, when you start thinking as the hardware is kind of like the free thing, I've seen some stats that said like retention's three times larger if a customer has a physical device on premise than if they don't. So, I mean, just figuring out if there's any type of hardware you can add into like, and with low cost, you know, manufacturing of electronics and kind of like, internet anywhere. These IoT devices can be relatively cheap to produce, call it 20 bucks a device. If that can help you double or triple your retention on an annualized basis, I mean, that'll just be part of, and I have a client DPL, they have a software for ATM machines, but they also have a physical component that they right now charge for it. One of the experiments they probably should consider is what if we gave it away for free to gain market share because the hardware is an anti-theft money monitoring device etc, etc. Oh, and plus it provides the telecommunications for the machine. So you don't need to pay for an extra wire or line to have it plugged into the internet. So it's like, what if you gave that to the ATM machine owners and then charge them the subscription for the software and the tooling? How would that work? I think there's so much opportunity still in the world. SaaS grows about 40% compounded annually. And I don't think it's slowing down. And then you start looking at like AI, 3D printing, cryptocurrency, all these like really meaningful disruptive technologies and all of those tools are going to require software to manage those industries. I think it's going to continue to snowball. Yeah. And even coming from the blockchain into the SaaS and how we will, the technology can change the space. I think it's a beautiful thing to have what you said is to have the hardware because it's a physical thing that people use on a daily basis and just reminds them like that brand is really good. And if they got it for free and they're using that software and they're paying for the software, it's a beautiful business model, in my opinion. I just want to say, Dan, it's been absolutely a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. So where can we find out more about you and what you're doing? 
Yeah. If anybody's listening, they have a software company, they want support, coaching, growth, joining an incredible community. Just go to danmartel2lsmartel.com. You can go download my Rocket Demo Builder, my Precision Scorecard. I have a ton of resources that will just help people get results really quick. And you can jump on a call with one of my scale specialists to see if we might be able to help. And if you want like the behind the scenes to wonder if this guy's full of crap, because a lot of people on the internet are, you can go follow me on Instagram watch my stories. I post every day. I live my life in a public way to hopefully inspire a whole generation of entrepreneurs to chase their dreams. Cool. Thanks so much, Dan. There will be links to that in the show notes, everybody. Everybody, thank you for listening. And before you go, please think of two to three people who are looking to get into SaaS and do them a massive favor and share this podcast episode with them because this has been a very powerful, very valuable, jam-packed episode of what we can do to grow our SaaS business and things that we should be thinking about with our own SaaS business. So please do them a massive favor and share this podcast episode. See you again next time.